0: So a healthy childhood is a childhood where there's a lot of good attachment, right? Where the parents are attuned to the child and attuned to the child's emotional needs, where the parents understand child development and aren't expecting children to be little adults and be more mature than their you know, developmental stage would suggest. Really, we're not looking for that perfect childhood. We're not looking for that ideal childhood. What we're looking for is a childhood where kids are allowed to be kids and adults are those responsive caregivers that are there for them.
1: welcome back to the Jews next door it is an absolute pleasure virtually sitting with dr Robin Kozlowitz, who is really one of the great leaders in our generation in the in the parenting realm she is first of all she's a doctor she's a clinical psychologist she's a parenting educator and she's also the educational director of the targeted parenting Institute so she has such incredible wisdom on parenting and is working on really incredible things, you know, coming up for, from the, in the, in the parenting realm. If you don't, haven't yet seen her on Instagram, you should check her out. Her stuff is incredible. Her content is amazing. It's insightful. It's, it's powerful and it's really just, it's great for everyone. So thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to sit with us today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the chance to chat about my, two passions which is parenting and more effective parenting so this is fantastic
1: amazing so tell tell us a little bit just about yourself in general like your journey and how you came to become so knowledgeable in the in the field of parenting
0: so I'm a clinical psychologist. I have my PhD from NYU. Um, I was really, when I be- started becoming a psychologist, I didn't realize the journey I was actually on. So I was studying two very separate areas. I was studying Trauma in terms of how to treat trauma. And then I was studying child development. Um, I was part of a research project working on a research team, studying temperament in, in early childhood and best practices for parenting kids based on their temperament. And my clinical interest was in treating trauma. I also kind of by chance, but kind of not, got placed in one of my externships working with acting out kids. And mm. Also, I was in another clinic working with kids who had encopresis, kids who had loss of bowel control. So when you are working on child development, when you're treating trauma, when you're working with kids who act out a lot, and when you're working with kids who have a lot of accidents, it ends up being that you are treating childhood trauma. So I kind of didn't realize how all my disparate interests were actually all the same thing. And I, you know, really was torn in these two directions of, am I going to be a researcher and, you know, continue down that path of, you know, becoming a professor and researching or am I going to become a clinician? I really wasn't sure. And NYU Mm -hmm. was very much a scientist practitioner school. So it was both sides at some point in my journey. I was teaching a court-mandated class. This was on my internship. I was teaching a court-mandated class for parents of children who had had their first brush with the law. So these were acting out children. And I mm. was teaching a court-mandated, evidence-based parenting class. And this one mother, who ended up becoming this fascinating person that I spoke to a lot, um, asked this brilliant question. She raised her hand and she said, you know, we're talking a lot about a normal, normative, healthy childhood. But how can I give my kids a healthy childhood? I didn't have one. I don't know what a healthy childhood Mm. looks like. And I remember her question just hit me like a punch in the gut because it was my question. It was exactly what I always wanted to know. And I remember saying, okay, we're going to dispense with the curriculum for a minute. And I want everybody in this room to raise their hand if anybody else has this question. And literally every room in the, in every hand in the room went up. Wow. What was interesting about that is I was an intern at Trinitas Hospital. Trinitas is in um, Elizabeth. And it's sort of like the biggest like regional medical center in that area. So you get people from very different different economic backgrounds, very different professions. When you're doing a court mandated class in a place like that, you'll get people who are, you know, very upper class people. Like I remember some of my participants in that class were like lawyers, were entrepreneurs coming from towns like Westfield. And then there were people maybe from Livingston, right? And then there were people who were, you know, recent immigrants who barely had two cents to scrape together. Wow. And, but their kids were all court mandated to the same parenting class, right? So, so they're all in class together. <laughs> It was so wow. interesting because we had this cross section of humanity in that room and everyone had that question. Hmm. And wow. that's when I realized like oh and then I realized oh yeah I'm studying trauma and I'm studying child development because that's what I want to know. So when I was a child I was raised by a very by wonderful parents but my father was very critically ill my whole life. He had hmm. a heart condition, he had many heart episodes. I spent a lot of my childhood in ambulances with him and my mother going to the hospital. I was the youngest. My mom was somewhat of an anxious person. She wasn't going to leave me home alone. She wasn't going to call anyone in the middle of the night to come stay with me. So I would go along with them in the ambulance to the hospital while my, while my father was having chest pains and all this kind of stuff. It was kind of, yeah, it was terrifying as a little kid. Um, and that was my childhood. So when I, became an adult. And then my father did die when I was 16 and I actually performed Mm. CPR on him and I developed actual PTSD from that, like flashback. Yeah, it was it was the whole, you know, actual PTSD. I actually remember, I actually thought at the time that I was going crazy, like not to use a term that I don't actually use in clinical practice, but at age 16, I was sure I had schizophrenia. Like I, I, you know, I was actually volunteering at the time in a, in a nursing home and there was a wing for, um, patients who had like persistent mental illness who were elderly. And, I saw what schizophrenic patients looked like and I thought that's happening to me because I would hear a siren and I would immediately be right back in my in my father's bedroom performing CPR like I could be in chemistry focusing on what the teacher's saying, you know, to all intents and purposes a great kid in high school doing, you know, regular high school things and all of a sudden I was literally there like I could see the room around me. Then when I was in college, I had an abnormal psychology professor and he was teaching us about PTSD and flashbacks and Vietnam vets who like, you know, there were stories about people who like shot, you know, a neighbor because a car backfired because they thought they were back in Vietnam, you know. And I raised my hand and I said, is is that only from people who were in a war? And he said, well, no, it's any event that was truly traumatic and too big for your brain to process. You know, I said, what about witnessing a death? And he said, yeah, that would that would do it. Right. And I realized at that point that I wasn't schizophrenic. I had PTSD wow. um, and I had years of, you know, coming to terms with that diagnosis and years of getting treatment and figuring it out. And then realizing that there weren't a lot of culturally sensitive trauma experts in the Jewish community. And I was going to do that. So that was, became my clinical interest. And the child development was, yeah, how do you, parent as a young parent who's healthy, who wants to provide mm. their kids with a healthy childhood in a home that's not organized around somebody's disease. Cause I wow. had no idea.
1: Wow. 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 That is fascinating. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Just, right. you know, just on that. Wow. So you know, what would you say, you know, based on everything you're saying, based on all of your work and what, you know, you described yourself, what is the definition then of a healthy childhood?
0: So a healthy childhood is a childhood where there's a lot of good attachment, right, where the parents are attuned to the child and attuned to the child's emotional needs, where the parents understand child development and aren't expecting children to be little adults and be more mature than their, you know, developmental stage would Mm -hmm. suggest, Really, we're not looking for that perfect childhood. We're not looking for that ideal childhood. What we're looking for is a childhood where kids are allowed to be kids and adults are those responsive caregivers that are there
1: for them. Okay. But as you know, not not all of us are clinical psychologists who understand all of that. So how how can parents realistically learn all of that in a way that they can make sure that they're providing their child with that not perfect childhood, but uh, you know, healthy childhood? So I think it's a great question.
0: And I think that parents have to educate themselves on what attachment is, how to provide attachment, how to handle attunement. Like how do I resonate with this child and sort of intuit their emotional and mental state and they can also understand mine to the extent that a child can, right? So that we're sort of, you know, the child sees that I'm empathizing with the fact that he's upset. He feels Mm -hmm. that sense of felt love. And at the same token, he feels that I am there for him, right? So educating ourselves on attachment, educating ourselves on child development, like understanding what is the key developmental task at each stage, really, attachment is a is a drive, right? It's a neurobiological instinct that we have. We are meant to attach to our children; they are meant to attach to us. So attachment isn't so complicated. A lot of times, people will like, you know, buy every single gadget on the market that like is supposed to promote attachment really, it's much more instinctive than that. Really, it's about spending time with that kid, intuiting what that kid needs, understanding emotions, knowing how to self-regulate, knowing how to co-regulate with the child, understanding what that means. And, you know, for post-traumatic parents, like anyone who follows me on Instagram or anyone who, you know, is, you know, interested in eventually reading the book that's forthcoming, for post-traumatic parents, sometimes it's I first have to learn how to self-regulate based on my traumas, based on how depleted I am, before I can do that with my kids. Mm -hmm. But that ability, that information's out there, right? It's not that complicated to learn how to parent. One thing I will say is that... Learning about attachment does not mean, when I say attachment, I don't mean the um, book Attachment Parenting by Dr. William Sears. That is one particular understanding of attachment that is not necessarily what we're talking about when we're saying attachment. Um, that level of, you know, for example, especially for post-traumatic parents, some of the practices, you know, that are like considered absolutely essential to attachment in that book. Number one are not research but verified. Number two, for anybody with PTSD uh-huh. are impossible.
1: So what what is the definition of attachment from you know what you're saying based on any you know a research-based definition of, of attachment?
0: So being the secure base for the child to return to, right? Being that person that that child feels held by, feels a sense of felt security, right? And of course, there are all sorts of research studies on how we have that strange situation that Mary Ainsworth developed where we see what a child does when they're Mm -hmm. left, you know, temporarily separated from their caregiver. How do they return? Do they protest the separation? What's the level of attunement when the child's distressed, right? We're really looking for that. What I mean by not research based is things like, you know, co-sleeping or uh, or twenty four seven baby mm. wearing things like that. A baby can have attachment to a parent even if they're not co sleeping twenty four seven. If you have PTSD and you try to co sleep, it's not going to work. And that doesn't mean that your kid's not going to have attachment with you. If you have right, PTSD right, right. and you're trying to and you're trying to baby wear, but perhaps your your trauma makes that very anxiety provoking. You get touched out easily. You don't have to baby wear to provide good attachment to your child. Right. Like those right, things are not right. research-based.
1: Sure. And like you said before, that our childhood affects our, our children's childhood and in, in meaning in order for us to be able to create a healthy and normal attachment, we need to first have our own, you know, normal and healthiness within ourselves. So why, why is that? Why, what's the, what's the basis for that, that it's so important for, I mean, I, I, I understand on a basic level and I, like, it seems, you know, like simple seems like it doesn't even need to be stated, but I feel like let's, let's flush that out a little bit more.
0: So at its, at its core attachment is really a a case of learning, right? How do I learn if the world is a safe place that will allow me to explore and allow me to go back? How do I learn that when I have big emotions, somebody's going to soothe me and make me feel better? I learned that from what happens with my parent, right? So it's really learning. And Uh, One thing I want to make very clear, just because someone didn't experience good attachment does not mean they cannot provide good attachment. In -hmm. fact, most of the attachment researchers did not experience good attachment themselves. John Bowlby had a terrible childhood. He was raised by a series of nannies. He was sent to boarding school at age 11. He later said that he wouldn't have a dog that he cared about, have the kind of childhood that he had. So that's pretty strong, right? Right, Many, many of those researchers didn't experience it. Doesn't mean we can't provide it. So sure, it would be great when somebody with secure attachment will just instinctively know how to attach to their child, or at least that's the thinking. But somebody who didn't have secure attachment for whatever reason, and remember, we're always saying parents did the best they could with the tools they have usually, right? So sure, someone didn't, like in my situation, right? I think my parents did their best to provide good attachment. I think they were wonderful people. But when there's that level of stress in a home, that's going to affect the developing child its just how it has to be right, so right. when we want to provide good attachment to our child it's about putting that front and center how do mm-hmm. i give this child a sense of felt love and felt security if we can do that attachment's a skill it's an incidence of learning anything that can be learned can be relearned and learned better anything that hasn't been learned can then be learned right so anyone who feels like i don't have that instinct Parenting's a skill, not an instinct. Learn the sure. skill and you'll have it.
1: And and that has to do with what you're saying is also if a parent didn't have it, you know, within their own childhood, so then they, they especially need to learn it more. And that's kind of it's like, that's your whole entire thing, right? Post-traumatic parenting yes. is this concept. So, so explain to us a little bit more about that. What is, what is, what's the, what's the process for a parent to go through to be able to say, okay, the reason that I'm struggling as a parent in this specific area is because, You know, I had that challenge in my own childhood, and now I need to correct X, Y, and Z. So – it's, there's so many areas in which
0: trauma in our childhood can be a barrier to parenting, right? There's so many levels. For example, a lot of times PTSD leaves us feeling somewhat alienated from our body, right? Because our body is the source of these uncomfortable sensations, these flashbacks, these feelings, and even more so if it's CPTSD, complex post-traumatic stress disorder, where we feel like our body is the enemy, but Mm -hmm. parenting a lot of times we do have to be able to tune into our body to the signals it's giving us. We talk in parenting about co-regulation all the time. This idea that as I am calm and I lower my body's reaction to big emotions and I'm okay with the fact that sometimes I get dysregulated, I can then help my child regulate themselves as well. Right. But if I've never learned to self-regulate, if I've never mm. learned to do that, I can't co-regulate if I can't self-regulate. Right. right so right. if my body's the enemy, I'm certainly not going to be able to do that. And a lot of post-traumatic sure. parents in that profile have, especially mothers, you'll hear a lot about mom rage and like suddenly out of nowhere, this hyper arousal. And then I'm so angry and I'm yelling at my kids and then I feel so guilty about it mm-hmm, because. Mm-hmm. Did you know how to tune into those signals your body was sending you before they got so big, right? Right. And then after that, learn how to self-regulate then there are, you know, very often post-traumatic parents have, you know, beliefs about, for example, attachment. Like I had a mom who told me attachment is supposed to create this internal working model, right? Where once you have good attachment, you have an internal working model of the world. Or if you have poor attachment, you have an internal working model of the world that isn't as favorable. Like, you know, if I cry, people will be mean to me, right? If I cry, no one will care, right? Those are internal working models that are part of insecure attachment. Right. So I had a mom say to me, my internal working model is broken, right? That sense, if I don't have an internal working model, how can I install one in my kid Right. also? Right. So then it's a matter of, first of all, internal working models can be fixed, right? That's what's called, that's what's called earned security, right? So you can have mm-hmm. secure attachment or you can have earned security where you learn how to be secure through later adult relationships, perhaps through therapy Perhaps through a combination of therapy and self exploration and reading about it and journaling about it. And then, you know, maybe having an adult relationship that's, you know, helpful and provides secure attachment. Maybe that's a marriage. Maybe that's a friend, but like, oh, there's another way to be in relationships besides if I have emotions, people will get mad at me. Okay. Right. Good to know. So there's that side. And then you have a lot of post traumatic parents who will tell you for sure in my classes who will say things like, you know, I definitely know what I want to not do. I, I definitely know what's, what's like the childhood I don't want my kids to have. I don't know what to yes to, Right. Mm-hmm. And then that becomes the question. And so that's right. where I started the classes because I wanted to speak to all of those things. I wanted to speak to each profile of a post-traumatic parent and understand that because the other side also is a lot of post-traumatic parents, a lot of people with PTSD in general, I find that people with PTSD are very often nature's entrepreneurs, nature's leaders. Like the fact that we think outside the box because trauma stuck us outside the box means that a lot of us have this drive to do things really well.
1: Sure. But in
0: parenting, that can become a problem, right? Because you can't parent perfectly.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's also a concept in the Torah, right? The concept that whenever a person has struggled with something, right, that, that, as the the Gemara and Brokels tells us that where Sadiq and Gamurim have stood, even you know, they they're they're on a, they're at a lower level in a way than Balichuva because Balichuva have, you know, really struggled with it. It's so like you're saying, the people have had that post-traumatic experience. So they they are then trying to really push to become better. And therefore, like you're saying, they're gonna be even better. But I hear it in, in parenting it's it's a struggle because unless if you have those skills, then realistically you don't know where to go with it.
0: Yeah, and then discernment becomes a problem, right? Because what happens is, well, what is the crucial key thing? So I have a lot of post traumatic parents who come to me and talk about parenting scripts. Like they're following a lot of accounts mm-hmm. online where they get these parents. I, I, I can't remember the script. I said it <laughs> wrong. I didn't right. see the exact words that like the lady on Instagram said. And it's like, wait, I don't know about you, but whenever I try to stick to a script, I come across as really stilted and not yeah, human. Yeah,
1: doesn't work.
0: Yeah. Right, it doesn't work. It's not about the words, right? It's not about the script. It's not about the exact thing. If you want to relate to the script as like, basically you want to start with validating the child's perspective and then go into teaching something and giving feedback, sure. But you don't need the exact words, right? So those post-traumatic parents who are trying to do it so right, or -hmm. they'll come into me and they'll be like, I read this blog post about how you're supposed to play puzzles with your child if you want them to have good math ability. And it's like, okay. and yet. We have to have discernment because there's a lot of wonderful things we could be doing, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it means muting certain social media feeds and saying like, hey, you can do some of the things, but you can't do all of the things and figuring that out. And I find that's what a lot of people get from, you know, my account is Dr. Coswell psychology on Instagram. A lot of people, the people who subscribe, cause we have like, you know, a community and then they have subscribers. Those are the questions. Like, what are the key factors? What's the most important thing? I have this advice. Should I follow it or not? My kid's teacher says this is, do I have to follow it exactly? Am I right? Am I wrong? Like those kinds of things. That's where post-traumatic parents get hung up. They're trying so hard to do it Right. But we really just want to do it authentically. We want to do it humanly.
1: Totally. Totally. Okay. So I feel like we have the concept now, right? The concept mm-hmm. is, is what, take us through the practical a little bit. What does a parent do? Okay. They realize they have, whatever it is, you can name a specific example, whatever is uh, some specific deficiency, they realize that they, you know, they didn't take care of their own emotions when they were a child. They didn't know how to self-regulate, whatever it was. Now, what does a parent do?
0: So, yeah, because sometimes you're saying like the clock is already ticking. Like I haven't been self-regulating. I don't know how to co-regulate. Now Mm -hmm. I have a four-year-old. Now I have a nine-year-old. I haven't done it. Right. So, number one, very often parenting is the entry into therapy for post-traumatic parents because Mm -hmm. many of our trauma coping tools work very well when we don't have kids. Right. You can people please all day and ignore your feelings and then go home and dissociate for four hours if you don't have kids and you're fine right? You can people please all day and then like go on a shopping spree to like fix your emotions and you're fine. When you have children, these children are expensive and children also have this annoying habit of wanting your attention, right? This is just (laughs) what life is. You can't do that anymore, right? So very often that is the entryway into therapy. And remember, one of the things PTSD does is, and especially CPTSD, it makes us, hyper independent. And it makes us very much um, focus on like, I can do it myself. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. Nobody helped me till right, now. I right. can handle it. So it's not until parenting that someone says, oh, wait, I do need help. There might be a better way to handle this. And that's So very often I say that like, kids are like the mirror, the map and the motivator out of totally. trauma.
1: Right. Parenting is the biggest, most say, say, safer and safer in the whole world.
0: For sure for sure. Right. Cause when a kid says to you, um, even just things like, um, you know, I had a mother in a class who said to me, um, she was, she was talking about her kid and, and she was like lecturing him because he was hitting his brother. And she's like, you can't hit people and yell at them when you're angry. And he looked at her, and he's like, why not? You do. Mm. And she yep. said, oh my gosh, that was a wake up call. I don't hit that much, but I do yell when I'm angry. Yep.
1: Yeah. So, like, why should I literally got interested? a call the other day from someone who was asking for some parenting advice and they said, you know, they were talking to their child and their child kept yelling that, you know, the oldest child in the family kept yelling at all the siblings. And that parent asked that child, they said, why do you keep yelling at them? Like, where do you see this from? And the child said, you. <laughs> and parents like, I don't know what to respond because when they said it to me, I realized it's true. That's, yeah. that's the truth. So like, it's exactly what you're saying.
0: And what you respond is, yeah, you're right. I need to change that because if I'm going to have any hope of helping you change that, I have to change that. So let's come up with a plan together. Can you signal to me when my voice is getting loud? Because I might not even notice it. Right. Mm. So that the parent then learns how to do that. Right. Because it isn't until you get that kind of feedback that hopefully if you're a really connected parent, it hits you like a slap in the face. Like, oh, my gosh, this kid is right. This is a 100 percent correct. Right. And that's the point where when we do that, yes, you are right. That's when that child feels really heard and held and understood. They understand that we're also an imperfect human and we're going to keep ourselves honest because we're going to change together as a family. We're all going to learn this. That moment of yes, you are right is the best thing a parent can ever do for their child.
1: Yeah. Totally. Totally. Okay. So first things first, like you said, it's the entryway into therapy. Okay. What, 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 what other steps can a parent take based on listening to your, to your wisdom over here? What, what else can a you know, parent do?
0: So I think a parent needs to educate themselves and they need to first pinpoint, what's the barrier to me? What am I doing? What's my trauma response that's right now interfering with my ability to parent? So in post-traumatic mm-hmm. parenting, we have five types of parents and I have a quiz that people can take and figure out which type they are. So when you okay. figure out what type you are, like what's the blocker here? Right. Am I a dissociating parent? Am I disengaged where like every time I get stressed out, I just completely disengage from the kids and I kind of, you know, and I don't intervene at all because I'm just in my own world and then things get chaotic. Am I in survival mode? Am I trying to be too perfectionist? Like we have a lot of types of parents. Right. So know what's happening. Right. Am I somebody Mm -hmm. who has no hope about ever self-regulating? I I am so divorced from my body. Okay. then we got to get you back into your body. And there are all sorts of somatic ways of doing that. Not only therapy. There are also taking exercise classes learning to get learning to get in touch with what your body sensations feel like you know there's a lot of there's a lot online about sensation training like learning swallowing something really cold swallowing something really hot feeling what those sensations feel like watching mm-hmm. your heart rate go up seeing how you can get it go down the distress tolerance skills from dbt are really helpful in that in getting people back in touch with their bodies if that's the problem if it's right. like wow. i don't know what child development i don't i don't know what an 11 year old is like like i had somebody in my class say like you know when i was 11 i was raising my siblings i was getting up early to cook dinner before school i was getting everybody into mm-hmm. their uniforms my mother had cancer and i was running the home i don't know what's normal for an 11 year old so right. when my 11 year old right. daughter says like i don't want to clean up the playroom what's a normal reaction to that? Like, you know, I don't want to do this like, you know, sort of like, you know, uh, I don't know, suffering Olympics where it's like I had to walk up hell both both ways in the snow to get to school. Right. I'm not trying to do that. (laughs) But at the same token, do I get angry? Do I do I You you want to teach
1: them that there is responsibilities and that, you know. Maybe I
0: am giving her too much responsibility. I didn't like the amount of responsibility I had when I was kid. Like, what do I do here? Right. Right? So educate yourself. It's not that hard to learn about child development. There's, again, a ton Mm -hmm. of resources out there. And this is one of the reasons why I'm writing my book, because I want that information to be easily accessible to people. But you can read, you know, Erickson and read about like psychosocial stages of development. You can read, you know, there's a lot of neurobiological information. Dan Siegel has a lot of information out there on like, Mm. what do you expect of an 11 year old? What's like a norm? because I think, you know, cleaning up the playroom is a normal, um, you know, recommend, there's a normal thing to ask a child to do, right? Being a good citizen of our family, having a chore, totally normal, totally okay. Um, what's the reaction when they don't follow their chore? Well, humans don't, right? Humans are good at shirking responsibility when they can, that, that's normal. Right. So what, what's your reaction yeah. going to be, right? Um all of that. If this is, if your reaction comes from like that wounded inner child of yours, that's like at 11, I was taking care of a family of eight. How dare you? Then we have to address that inner child. Cause that's about your inner sure. child needing healing. That's not about the kid in front of you. If it's coming from a, I don't know what's normal, then learn what's normal. Right. Or rather normal is, is it setting on the dryer normative, right? What's, what's healthy, right, right. what, what should be expected. And it's just sure. a matter of learning it.
1: Sure. Sure. And what if, you know, a parent, let's say already realizes not that, you no, know, not, they're not at the first stage, but they're already at like stage five where they're already seeing how it is affecting their child. So what type of intervention can they do to kind of like walk it back a little bit?
0: So that's where they need post-traumatic parenting help, right? Where mm-hmm. first there's going to be a lot of background and a lot of, a lot of foundational work, which means they're not changing anything about their parenting just quite yet. They're first in a learning phase and they're learning all this stuff. And then Mm -hmm. it comes to implementation. And very often that does mean acknowledging and validating to the child. You know, I was handling things this way and I've rethought that. I don't like the way I've been handling these things. I don't like the way I yell. I don't like the way I, you know, check out and let you guys have screen time all evening and I'm not really involved in your lives. I don't like that anymore. I want us to change. And then I would, what I call, I call building the castle in the cloud, right? For the kids, what's in it for them? Cause like, if the kids are like nine and 11, they're like, no, 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 I'm good. You check out. I'll watch. I'll, <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll stay on Netflix right. all day, right? Very often we have to build that castle in the cloud. What life will be like when our relationship is
1: better. Then mm. developmentally, children are able to. To handle that, meaning they're able to say, my parents not like a hypocrite for changing and, you know, not like kind of losing their trust in their parents in a way.
0: Well, I think you gain a lot of trust when you're authentic saying to a kid, you know, I don't value yelling and I find myself yelling a lot. I don't Mm want to be the mom who yells a lot. and I want to be close to you. I want to hear about your life. I want to have conversations. I want this to be this connection. I want you to feel loved. And I want to feel like we have a connection. I want to do the work to make that change. And I'm going to need your cooperation. I think that's so authentic and so real. I mean, imagine if your boss came to you, right? Of course, a parent's not a boss. But imagine if your boss came to you and said, you know, I realize I've been really harsh and critical of some of the things you've been turning in. I don't like that in myself. I'm going to do some work on myself to figure out why you in particular, I, I seem to be the most critical to. And I want to change and I want you to help me create some checks and balances. You'd feel right. so appreciated, totally. right? Yeah. I remember the first time when I was working at NYU and I will have undying respect for this professor where she made a mistake. Um, it was Dr. Sandy McClary who ended up being my dissertation chair. She made a mistake and she came to me and she's like, Robin, I I think she told me that I hadn't done something correctly and I had, and I was feeling so like, oh my gosh, what did I do wrong? And by nature, I'm not a great statistician, but I really thought I did it right. And she Mm -hmm. came back, Robin, I was wrong. I'm so sorry. It wasn't yours. That was an error. I felt such respect for her just coming back to me. And she didn't email me, but she could have. She like walked down a few floors from her office to the research lab to find me and say, Robin, I was wrong. i actually it wasn't yours. That was a mistake. You did it. You did it just fine. I had such a a big person to be
1: able to admit that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and you notice what she didn't do is like, I'm awful and I'm terrible and I'm horrible. (laughs) Right. She didn't like put the burden of that on me. Like I have to like reassure her, make her feel better. We don't want to do that with our kids either, but saying Mm. to them, let's figure out how that's the castle in the cloud, this great relationship that we have. How do we get from here to there? What are checks and balances we can put in place to keep both of us honest And what's something we can look forward to when all of that happens. Right. Right, right. So that the child feels like bought into this mission. It's not like I no more screen time. I don't like screen time. We're doing too much of it. Like, that's not what we're saying. We're saying, like, I want to give your brain a fighting chance against big tech. So let's figure out a plan. I'm not saying like you're never going to watch anything ever again, you know, but let's come up with a plan that feels correct for both of us that makes sense totally. but then mom has to also like shut her smartphone during times that she's parenting because you can't parent sure. and pay attention to a smartphone at the same time just doesn't yep. happen
1: and it's also about modeling meaning for them to see well if there's if, if she's taking away or he's taking away my screen time so what about their screen time like yeah it can't be like this like contradiction. right, right.
0: it's also not taking away it's it's like are we having a conversation about using it reasonably
1: and responsibly mm-hmm. totally Totally. Would you say that from your experience that you've seen that there's any differences in terms of, you know, male, female in terms of this, both in terms of the parents or the child in terms of like the effects? So I think in post traumatic parenting, there are a
0: lot of fathers who disengage more than anything else. And a lot of them, it comes from Mm -hmm. this place of, I don't want my damage to damage my children. A lot of fathers who are workaholics who outsource a lot of the fathering tasks, like I'll hire a coach to teach you how to throw a basketball. We're being very gendered and very like typical, but right, I, you know, I'm hiring a driver to drive you places or, you know, I'm, you know, someone else we're hiring a homework teacher to do homework with you. And when you really unpack that, and the kid just wants more time with dad. And when you really unpack that, And I've had so many fathers sit in my office and cry when I say, what are you protecting your child from? Mm. Like the things we forget, when we keep forgetting, there's usually, this is going to sound very Freudian, but there's some like unconscious reason why. So totally. you keep forgetting yeah. this, like you said, you're going to spend this time with your son. You keep forgetting it. You keep, there's this major appointment that you must have because there's this great client that you're courting for your firm. Once that could happen. Sure. Someone's in town or something. It happens every right. Monday. That's, you know, those are the patterns here. Like I said, I'm not right. much of a statistician, but that's obvious. And very often when we unpack that, it's, I don't want my damage to damage my child. And the idea is, well, let's handle your damage. And then not only will your damage not damage your child, but your damage is going to be an asset to your child because you will know what you value. You will clarify your parenting values and you will be able to parent in accordance with them. Mm. Um, you know, I've had this with parents who like didn't want to have like, you know, the 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 talk with their kids when their kids turned 11, right? Or right. parents who didn't want to um, do certain like developmentally appropriate tasks with their kids because that part of my life was so messed up. I'm going to give them negative attitudes. I can train you and I can talk to you and I can teach you and I can discuss with you how to do that with your kid. But don't outsource that to me. Mm. You're the best person to do this mm. with your kid. You are totally. the best person to do this conflict resolution, whatever it is. Your teenager is mad at you. You're the best person to fix it. I can teach you the things you need to emphasize. I can teach you how to think. I can teach you how to listen and how to think about what your kid's saying to you. But you're the best person to have that
1: conversation. Mm-hmm. I
0: can't apologize mm-hmm.
1: to your kid for you, right? Yeah, totally, totally. It's like I, I we had an episode with Rachel Bayer, who is all about, you know, child abuse and protecting our children. And she was saying, she said... I will not speak to your children directly. You have to speak to your child yes. because it's not, this is not my relationship with your child that needs to be, you know, safe and healthy. It's your relationship and yes. it's you protecting your child, not me protecting your child in, yes. in a way. So,
0: yes. I have, I've had, and I've had this also with like fathers who get very angry and again, we're being very gendered, but like, you know, if I, if I stay away, then my anger won't affect them, but it will because the fact that you're staying away means your anger is this monster for everyone to fear, mm. including you. If your anger is something that you can acknowledge and learn how to deal with and learn how to self-regulate around, then think of the power of that lesson to your child who might share your neurology and might also anger easily simply because
1: their temperament is the same as yours, right? Right, They're wired that way. You're the best person to teach that kid what to do about it. Totally. Totally. And what about with women? What is that? uh, What have you typically seen?
0: So- Again, it goes with those like five types of post-traumatic parents, which we have, Uh, which we have with both. But I will say that mothers, because there is so much pressure, right? Motherhood, right? Every politician is for motherhood and apple pie, right? There's so much pressure and so much thought about like what constitutes a good mother. And theoretically, there is no ceiling or floor on mothering, right? There's like whatever badness you can say about a mother, I can find a mother who's worse, right? Whatever goodness Mm -hmm. you can say about a mother, I can find a mother who's better, right? And in social media, of course, that like really makes it difficult because the standards are insanely high. But then on top of that, um, there's that mom guilt, right? There's the invisible mental load that a lot of mothers carry Mm, where, you know, there's There's just so much Sudoku that you have to do in your brain to run a family. And if you're a working mother, that Sudoku just Mm -hmm. gets exponentially harder to do. And then on top of that, there's all these myths about maternal instinct, which I'm here to tell you, there's no such thing. (laughs) Parenting's a skill. Anyone can learn a skill. If your internal working model is broken, fix it, right? If Mm -hmm. you don't have secure attachment develop earned attachment, you know, develop earned right. security, right? Like Love that. that's yeah. okay, right? Like, so that, right? There, There isn't a, a ton of societal talk about paternal instinct, right? I like, I've never heard that term. Like, oh my gosh, dad instinct. I, I That's just not something that's mythologized and talked about. So mothers are put held to this impossible standard. On one hand, mothering is put on this wonderful pedestal, right? Oh, a mother, right? The connection to your mother. But pedestals yeah. are very narrow places. Right. It's very hard to live on a pedestal. So sure. if you're not that ideal mother that of story and song, okay. Be a real mother, be an authentic mother, learn those skills. Right. And remember that the same thing, your damage is not going to damage your kids. If you take active steps to understand your damage and to manage your damage. Hmm. If you Love don't, it. yeah, your damage could damage your kids. Sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. Have you seen examples where this concept of post-traumatic parenting? has resulted in, I don't know if the right word is, you know, the religious challenges or, you know, or how has it affected religious development of children? So
0: certainly if we look at like research, right? Like Anne-Marie Rizzuto's research on like the God concept in someone's brain, right? We know that our parents are our direct exemplars of the God concept. I think sure. I once heard an interview with somebody who is no longer religious, who um he said something so evocative. I don't remember who it was, but he said something like his, you know, he was in second grade and his teacher was talking about like, you know, Hashem, who's our father in heaven. He was like, oh no, there's another person out there looking to like... Oh. Patch me and beat me up and hurt me whenever I do right. anything wrong. Right. Just, and, you know, I think his father maybe was an alcoholic, He's like another drunk guy only on a cosmic level. Yeah, right. we don't want that. Right. So if right. that was your experience, if that was your God concept, that's not a good thing. So right. separating it out religiously from, you know, from like a religious imperative versus a parenting imperative. Right. It makes so much sense that if our God concept is you know, altered because the parenting was altered, then we have to repair with God as an attachment figure, just the way we would appear repair with a parent as an attachment figure. And if the attachment figure, then when a parent is no longer around, Mm. we can still repair attachment, right? We can, our inner child, we can, we can parent our own inner child, right? In the same way, if God is an attachment figure, which I believe God is an attachment figure. And if we want To repair that attachment because there are some post-traumatic parents whose religious upbringing was so painful and their God concept is so altered that that's not a value for them. But if it is a value for them, right, right, then it can be repaired. In the same yeah. way. Right. Like I, I I just and I always think about this when I talk to parents and I always say, do you do you want that to be what your kid thinks? You know, like God is like our father. Oh, no. Right. You don't want that. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Our father, yeah, but with a cosmic with a cosmic power that <laughs> no, 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 no. you don't want that, you know. Right. If, so think about that, like absentee father who's like, you know, outsourcing everything do you want that to be the God concept for your child? Like, like, you know, yeah, God's basically, you know, way too busy to like care about me. No. Right. So then you need to be present.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's a very, very powerful way of putting it. Wow. Are there, are there any, you know, I guess questions that parents wouldn't even think to ask within this realm of, uh, post-traumatic parenting?
0: I think the biggest not question, but the biggest realization that people have is like when I say to them, when a, when a parent comes in and says, "Like I don't parent according to my values," and I don't know why I yell at my kids all the time, I'm disengaged from them, I'm I'm not giving them the childhood I want to give them. I see things, I see friends, let's say, relating to their kids so much more genuinely than I do, and when I can say to them, maybe it's not you, maybe it's your trauma. I feel like Mm -hmm. I see this light bulb go off in their head because then that shame and guilt of like, I'm doing this wrong. It kind of evaporates because it's like, oh, my trauma taught me certain lessons. I talk about trauma, creating this like trauma app in our brain that, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm putting it back here because it's like our amygdala, like where it would be. Um, and yeah, the trauma app can mess up our parenting in a lot of ways. So that's not your fault right? You did nothing wrong to develop that trauma app. That's about what happened to you. That's what didn't happen for you. That can be addressed. Like that can be handled. This is not forever. Right. 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 Well,
1: yeah, we can end the cycle. Yeah. Any, uh, any final message as we wrap up? So I just want to
0: give that message of hope that it is never too late to repair, right? No matter how old someone's kids are, right it's not like the the early attachment theorists thought like it was all over by age 2 like if you didn't have good attachment by age 2 like that's that it's not true we can repair relationships whenever and wherever even adult parent child relationships can be repaired provided both sides want the repair and want to do the work necessary to have that repair we mm. always can fix it right and also Parenting isn't just a healthy endeavor, it can also be a healing one. We actually can address our inner child and raise our inner child and help our inner child alongside our actual children. We mm. have that ability.
1: Oh, love it. Wow, wow, wow. Thank you so much. This was incredibly insightful. And if you want to learn more about this, you should you should go visit Dr. Kaluetz's page and check out her book that's coming out shortly. And I think, right. Um, or hopefully. Sorry.
0: The book is coming out. It's forthcoming. Um, I think publication date is scheduled from like a year for a year from now. Books take a very long time, yes, you know, when yes. like to actually be published. But meanwhile, people could check out at Dr. Kossel at psychology on Instagram and Facebook. We have both like a big post-traumatic parenting community. And we also have mm. a post-traumatic parenting subscription where people can ask their specific questions just like until mm. the book is out. So people can, you know, get more of that oh, information. Really. And wow. there's also the post-traumatic parenting podcast, which is available wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Amazing. You are doing incredible work. Thank you so much for giving us the time and thank you for all the work you're doing for, for everyone. Really. It's, uh, thank you so much
0: for having amazing. me. I really right, appreciate thank it. you. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Jews Next Door. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. I'd love to hear your takeaways. Reach out to us, reach out to me at yair at genoff.org. hi at genoff.org. You can check us out on the website. You could leave a question there. We'd love to be in touch. Please be in touch. Check us out on Instagram at ParentingTheJewsNextDoor. Hit me up on Twitter at YairMenschel. And we're got we on TikTok now, too. We have some great content, a lot of really great insights into parenting, tips, parenting pointers, reaction videos, and quotes. We have a lot going on. We have a lot of articles. You want to check it out. Check it out at jenoff.org. You won't be sorry you did. And I look forward to hearing from you. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, make sure you subscribe and share it with your family and friends. Looking forward to another great episode next week.